uh, with us uh, there, but I can't, so we thought over these weeks in August that we would try to bring some of the land here. And so I hope that you've appreciated uh, going there. And this morning we're going to uh, take another journey in, into the land. I want you just to imagine with me, uh, to get into the, the story, that uh, you are uh, in Israel. And imagine yourself here in this place. This is the Judean wilderness. And imagine yourself wandering in this land day after day, week after week, as you wander through Israel as nomads moving from place to place. Your daily meal, which most of us know from our scriptures, is this. It's manna. That's what you're eating every day, manna. Manna. Manna burgers, manna dogs, manna stew, manna loaf, manna fried, manna mush, manna leftovers. That's all you're eating each and every day. You're just having manna, manna, and more manna. Imagine that you're wandering through this land here, and then you receive these words from God. With the sun beating down on you, your lips are chapped, the dust is swirling about you. You still have the, the nummy taste of manna in your mouth. And you hear these words from God in Deuteronomy 8, 7 through 9. It says, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks and streams and deep springs gushing out into the valley and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. How does that sound to your ears? <laughs> that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? This is what our God is doing. He's bringing us into this, into this land. And part of this, this great description of God's promise for his people to going into this promised land, God describes in here what we would call the seven species of Israel. These seven species God specifically mentions here. He mentions in the verse, he mentions wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates. Bar all right, I got to explain that when we were in the land. Our, our, all right, now we got chaos breaking out. Because when we were in the land, I divided our whole group into uh, sub-teams, and they were identified by these seven species of the land. So there's a little competition between the groups that were there and really who could make it back to the bus on time. There was one of the species who generally didn't make it on time, but I've already thrown pastors under the bus. I won't throw anybody else this morning. But that's why we divided by these seven species, because they're so integral to, to the land and to the life of Israel. Uh, Israel is the only place where these species grow in close proximity together. These seven species made up the uh, staple diet of people in, in the Bible uh, during the Bible times. Today, they obviously have other food, but back then they relied on this food that God provided for them. And you will find as you read through your scriptures over and over again, these seven species. You'll see them uh, 
the God's Word, talking about them again and again because they're so integral into the land. And we're this morning, we are going to talk about one of these species that, that takes a, a central place in our story, and that species is the fig tree, not barley. We're not talking about barley, nope. We're talking about the fig tree. Uh, the fig tree this morning. And as we, as we encounter it in our Bible reading this morning, there's two things that I want you to know about the fig tree. First is the harvest cycle. How is that for excitement? The harvest cycle of the fig tree, we need to recognize that there is a spring harvest of the fig tree. And this spring harvest is sort of little figs. They're kind of baby figs that were left over from the fall. Because in the fall was kind of the prime fig season, but there would be some little baby figs that didn't quite make it to full ripeness, and so they were still on the tree. And then as it went through winter season and things became dormant, these little baby figs became dormant as well. And so back in the spring, when the tree sprouts its leaves and it comes back to life, these little baby figs suddenly start to ripen. The biggest harvest is in the fall, but in the spring you can expect these little baby figs. Often they're hard to see because they're green, they're the color of the leaves. Uh, it ain't easy being green, the color of the leaves. That just popped into my head. So, um, And what we see is the figs there, uh, when they're ripe, then you can detect them. And so that's the harvest season of the fig tree. The other thing that we need to know about the fig tree is the symbolism. The fig tree symbolizes the nation of Israel. From the very beginning, the fig tree was identified with the nation of Israel. The fig tree was usually alone. It was out in the center. It provided shade. It provided cooling. It provided blessing underneath its leaves and from its fruit. And God's intention for the nation of Israel was to be like that tree, that they would stand there, that they would stand out, and that they would be a blessing not to themselves, but to all nations. So with those things packed away in the back of our, our heads, let us turn to Mark chapter 11. This is Mark chapter 11. we have a little map work that I want to do uh, because you will see that verse 12, Mark 11, verse 12, is where I'm going to read from. Mark 11:12 says, the next day as they were leaving Bethany. So this is Jesus' journey that he, would, he was making. You can see Bethany on the map on the far right-hand side. They would go up around the blue circle there is the Mount of Olives, which most of us are familiar with. They would go around the Mount of Olives through Bethphage, and then they would come down into the, uh, into the valley, the Kidron Valley, and make their way back up into the temple. That was the journey from Bethany. It was about a two-mile walk. It probably took them um, about 40 minutes to make that walk. And the reason that Jesus is coming from Bethany, one, is that he's been coming from up north and coming down across the Jordan River, making his way across. But in Bethany, he has friends that he stays with. Anybody want to take a guess at those friends that we've read about? Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They live in Bethany. 
And so when Jesus comes to Jerusalem, he's always hanging with Mary and Martha and Lazarus there in Bethany. So this passage tells us the next day they were leaving Bethany. So Jesus had been staying with Mary and Martha. The other thing I would like to just point out is verse 11, because that's going to come into play. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. So Jesus went back to Bethany. Then in the morning he gets up the next day, they leave Bethany. He's coming back to uh, the temple. And they're coming to the temple, and it says, Jesus, in the, seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. Now we know that just prior to this, Jesus entered Jerusalem. Hosanna, Hosanna, waving the branches. Blessed is he in the highest. The, what, the, what is the festival that Jesus entered Jerusalem in? He came in on a donkey. There we go, Passover. The Passover festival. And the Passover festival is in what season? The spring season. So, this, so now Jesus sees the fig tree, right? Which suddenly would start having leaves. And what kind of figs should it have on it? The little baby ones. The little baby ones that were left over from the fall. So the leaves are there. You'd look at it and expect there would be some figs. And that's what it says. Jesus... Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Matthew's account doesn't have that phrase on there. Mark includes it, but I think to dif differentiate between the two seasons. So Jesus is looking for figs. His expectation is that this tree should have figs. He looks at it, and it doesn't. So we continue to read there in verse 14. It says, Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? What's, Jesus essentially curses the tree. May you never have any fruit again. This seems kind of out of character, doesn't it, for Jesus? He's the one who's like, Let the little children come to me. You know, he's always healing and doing peaceful things. And now all of a sudden, he's cursing a tree because it doesn't have any fruit. And imagine if he burned his popcorn, what do you think he would do? <laughs> May Orville Redenbacher never produce again. I don't know. Jesus is pretty steamed about this. And, and we need to begin to ask ourselves, yeah, this is a little out of character for Jesus. Why? Right? We're going to ask that question. Why? And his disciples heard him say that. And why was he upset about the tree? What did he want? He wanted to take a fruit. He wanted fruit. He wanted fruit from the tree. But instead of fruit, he just found leaves. It was all expectation, but no delivering on the promise, the fruit. And so Jesus curses the tree, essentially because it had no fruit. If we jump down to verse 20, Verse 20 says to us here, it says, in the morning, as they went along, so now they're coming again, right? Because in the evening, they went back to Bethany, now they're going back to the house, getting the traffic pattern, so they're coming back by. They saw the fig tree again. But look at what happened to it. It's withered from the roots. 
Now the disciples heard him say this, so Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. And how did it wither? From the roots. I mean, that's pretty astonishing, right? A, a full-grown tree that was supposed to produce fruit in one day, it withers from the roots. I mean, my weed be gone doesn't even do that to, in, my, in my lawn. You know, that's what it's supposed to do, but it doesn't. But Jesus, with one word, I curse you, this tree withers from the roots on up. This is something, because in all of the scripture, I want to say that this is the only negative miracle. It's a negative miracle, right? The other miracles, Jesus is bringing life, he's bringing hope, he's helping people see, he's helping them walk, he's giving them food. It's always in a positive direction. But this is a negative miracle, where he unleashes his curse and the tree withers. So we should be asking ourselves, why? What's, what's going on here? Jesus here cursed the tree because it, as we just saw, it didn't have any fruit and it withered and it died. Now if you notice, this story took place in two sections, right? We read one section, then we had to skip over some stuff, and we had to get to the other section. If you're reading through the book of Mark, this is called a Markin sandwich. Theologians went pretty easy on us on this one, didn't they? It's called a uh, Markin uh, sandwich, or an intercalation, if you really want to get deep. But I like the word sandwich because I can remember it. It's a Markin sandwich, and in the book of Mark, he does this about eight times. So as you read through Mark, pay attention for this because Mark is trying to tell you something very important. If he puts something here and he puts something here, he wants you to look where? In the middle. Let's look at the meat. <laughs> let's see what's going on. Here's some bread, here's some bread. Now let's see what's going on with the meat. And in this case, what we're going to find out here is, right, Jesus cursed the tree for not bearing fruit. Jesus, the tree withered for not bearing fruit and now Jesus comes into the temple and he's going to judge the temple for not bearing fruit you got to look at these sections all as one to get the complete interpretation most of the people the Jewish people would have realized this right away because their symbolism of the the, the fig tree was that it symbolized Israel Jesus didn't pick an olive tree. Jesus didn't pick a date tree. He specifically went on a fig tree. And when he picked a fig tree, everybody knew in the back of their heads the fig tree symbolized Israel. And so here comes Jesus now in verse 15, 11, 15. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Notice, uh, we read verse 11, when Jesus gets into town, 
he goes into the temple and then he comes back to the temple on this day. And what's important for us to remember here is sort of the, uh, without getting too technical, uh, remembering the layout of the temple, which we have on um, the screen before you. And essentially, if you think about it, think of it in concentric circles. The outer circle, everybody, because what's in the very center of the temple? The Holy of Holies, God, the very presence of God. Okay, so we're gonna, we're gonna protect that presence of God. So on the very outer circle, any way you stay way away from God, Gentiles can be in, come to God's presence. Then we're gonna make another circle, and uh, you know what, all, um, all the women can come here. It's, we can talk about this, it's just the way it was in that day. It was a patriarchal society. This will be the court where all the women, Jewish women can come to, because you gotta be Jewish to make it into that next circle. Then the next circle in would be the Jewish men. They could come in closer. Then we have the priests, and then once a year, the high priest could come into the Holy of Holies. That's the arrangement of the temple. So what's going on here in those two red squares there, that is the outer ring, and that is the court of the Gentiles. So if I'm not in the Jewish faith, if I'm coming, and I'm a, we read that all the time in the Bible, people who fear God, people who follow God, but I'm not, a, I'm not a natural born Jew, I am a Gentile coming to meet God. The only place in the temple that I would be able to go would be in the court of the Gentiles. That's where I would be able to seek God, where I would be able to pray to God, where I'd be able to meet with him, where I would be able to see my faith nourished before God. But when Jesus shows up, he shows up in the temple, in these Gentile courts where the Gentiles should be able to come and meet with God. What does he find? He finds that people there are buying and selling. There's a little market going on. Because if I'm coming to the temple, what do you need to come and see, to, to, so you can have access to God, God who is holy. Remember, we're sinful, we're not. What do you need to be able to access God? Sacrifice. sacrifice, right. We need a sacrifice. And so the, for the poorest of people, I mean, you have nothing. So you show up at the temple, and there you're going to buy your sacrifice. Well, guess what? They got, the, they got the stands for them right there in the court of the Gentiles. Here you go. You can buy a pigeon. Well, if you brought your own pigeon, it would have been good but you didn't you showed up you have to buy a pigeon and so what did they do with the price of the pigeon do you think the yeah they marked it up kind of like jordan and i went to a ball game and we get in there and it's like oh i need some water oh you need some water while you're at the ball game how about seven dollars for a bottle of water why didn't i bring my own right that's we, we get that that's what's going on here is they're up in the price for these animals which people needed they had to be able to make a sacrifice. And so they're, they're extorting and they're using. And who's, who's in charge of all of this? The priests, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, the very ones who are supposed to be Israel's representatives, letting, showing them how they can have access to God. The little man, they're taking care of him. They're putting him under their thumb and... They're having to do this buying and selling that Jesus sees going on. He not only sees that, 
He sees money changers. Well, what's going on with that? Well, you know when you come into the temple, it's required that you pay a temple tax. You have to pay a temple tax. Well, guess what the religious leaders decided? There's only one coin that you can pay the temple tax with, and it's the Ty Tyrian shekel. All right, and we read about this in the scriptures. You can see the other places in scriptures where you read about this Tyrian shekel. And the reason that they used the Tyrian shekel is that it contained the most silver. It was uh, out of all the coins, out of all the things in the world that had the most silver. That was the only coin you could use. And interestingly to me, that coin has pagan symbols on it. And I would think that God would kind of frown upon pagan symbols on this coin, that that's what you have to pay in the temple to have access to God. So you come in and you're from another country or you're from another district and you have to uh, come in, you can only pay the temple tax. So you lay down your Canadian dollar to get a shekel and I say, oh no, your Canadian dollar is not worth that. You gotta give me five Canadian dollars to get this one shekel. You see where this is going and what they were doing at the tent? They were again putting the screws on the people and they were extorting money from them to get what they needed to have in order to be able to worship God. Oh my goodness. Exactly, highway robbery. And we know that the temple of God is, was supposed to be, right, a sacred place. Well, what else is happening here do we read in the temple? Where God's place is supposed to be holy and sacred and set apart? Jesus, there were people carrying merchandise through the temple courts. Well, you know what? I just went to the Jerusalem Walmart and I got my groceries and it is such a long walk to go all the way around the temple. I'm just going to cut through the temple with my groceries today. And so all manner of things that people were buying and selling were just carrying through. It was just like a thoroughfare. It was just like, uh, uh, you know, just, it was just crowded with people just doing business. When it should have been set aside as a place where the Gentile people could come and meet with God. Jesus saw this in verse 11, but it was late in the evening, and he went home, and I imagine he was just stewing about it a little bit. He saw what was going on in the temple. Have you ever had that where, where you see something, you're like, oh, I'll deal with that in the morning? But all night long, you're thinking about it. And Jesus, I think, is just thinking about this and thinking about this, how he's going to deal with it. And he shows up in the morning, and Jesus comes into the temple courts, and the way that he deals with it, when he comes in, is he turned over the tables of the money changers. He, he, uh, he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through. And Jesus uh, kicked out those who were buying and selling. Jesus just, he came after them on that morning. Why? Because that was supposed to be a place that bore fruit. It was supposed to be a place where the fruit of the kingdom of God was emerging. Oh, it had lots of leaves, didn't it? It had lots of leaves of religious activity. Here's how you sacrifice. Here's how you pay your tax. Here's where you go. There was lots of leaves, lots of business, lots of religious activity that the religious leaders had set up. But all that religious activity, did it move God's people closer to him? No. In fact, it probably left them farther away from God. And so Jesus enters into this temple, and he sees this. And I believe, and I think uh, 
the, the Markan sandwich supports this, that Jesus is not unleashing his anger on them, trying to reform what is going on in the temple. I believe Jesus is there declaring judgment on the temple that day, right? He judged the tree. It didn't bear fruit. It, it withered. He's here now judging Israel in this place because he already, if he was going to reform it, he wouldn't have said, I'm going to tear you down. He already did that. He said, this is all going to be tore down. It's going to be tore down. And here he comes in, again, showing that people cannot put their hopes in this religious system. They can't put their hopes in the religious law. They need to put their hopes in the Messiah. He's the one, if they place their faith in him, the once for all sacrifice, he'll be able to lead them to God. But they've ignored him. They've rejected him. And Jesus sees that. And he comes down with judgment. He's moving these things out of the temple in judgment. Remember that tree? It was Israel. He judged that tree. What's he doing now? He's, he's judging Israel and what they're doing here in the temple. And Jesus then says a couple things to them. And I want you to remember this, this word. The word is called remez. Remez is a word that describes how Jewish rabbis taught. Jewish rabbis would use remez, which really means a hint. It's just a hint. I'm going to give you a hint and then you fill in the rest of the blank. Like if I would just say, oh my goodness, that's a penny saved, you just filled in the rest of the blank with a penny earned, right? We, we get this, how that, how that, that works. Uh, and that's what Jesus is doing here, but he does it with Scripture. Because the, who, the religious leaders is who he's, he's coming after, the temple leaders. He's coming after this whole system. And Jesus is coming after those who should have, those heads of Israel who should have been, been shaping the nation of Israel so it could be a blessing to the nations. They turned it into this big mess that was leading people away from God. And so Jesus comes to them, and the first thing that he says to them is not it written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. There's a little remez going on here. You see your footnote in your Bible? It says Isaiah 56, 7. What's, what does it say in Isaiah 56, 7? You know, I always suggest you turn to those passages because we see what Jesus is intending. And here in Isaiah 56, 7, Jesus uses the word, my house should be for all nations, right? All nations. In, I, in Isaiah 56, 7, Isaiah is saying, in the Messianic age, all nations are going to be able to come to my house. That's who's going to be able to worship. He's declaring that this is what it's going to be when the Messiah comes. And we can see in verse 7 that Jesus says, These I will bring to my holy mountain. I give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. That's what it's supposed to be. The prophet said, this is what it will be when the Messiah has come. But these leaders left it not as a place for all the nations. In fact, the only place all the nations could gather was in the court of the Gentiles. But they couldn't gather there because we had all this religious activity going on. And so when Jesus says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, 
he's alluding to this passage in Isaiah, which instantly triggers the religious leaders to know that's what the prophet said. That's what the prophet said, and we're in trouble because the prophet said those who do not maintain justice, those who do not do what's right, those who do not allow my house to be called the house of prayer, they're going to be judged. But he not only says that, Jesus then says, but you have made it a den of robbers. A nice, a nice uh, trade-off, a house of prayer, den of robbers. What it's supposed to be, and now it's a den of robbers. And again in Jeremiah 7, Jeremiah 7, 11, Jesus says in verse 9, will you steal and murder and commit adultery? This is what the prophet says. In, in, uh, in perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you but I have been watching declares the Lord Jesus phrase had some punch behind it didn't it because Jesus essentially is saying here I, you guys are like the mafia you're like the God Mafia. You're out there, you're extorting, you're profiteering, you're doing racketeering, you're doing all this to benefit yourself when what you should be doing is making sure all of this leads to the glory of God and it's not. And you do all this stuff and then you stand back in your religious robes and, and looking all pious and you think uh, you're hiding like in a den of robbers. Because isn't that where the robbers go? At least when I watch the... Uh, when I watch robber shows, they always do their crime and then they come running back and they're in there, some little garage somewhere, or some sort of den of robbery, like, ho, 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 we just did this and we were great. Jesus is saying, that's who you are, religious leaders. You're in a den of robbers. That's who you are. These are fighting words, aren't they? Jesus is delivering judgment on this nation right here because... They are not bearing the fruit for the kingdom. Israel was to stand, to be a blessing for all the nations. Israel was to stand, and they were to show people how to, how to live in the kingdom of God. Israel was to stand and have arms open for other people so that they could come and worship God. But instead, it's doing none of that. And Jesus delivers judgment because this temple was not bearing fruit for God. It was not bearing the fruit of faith. The tree withers because it was not bearing the fruit for faith. So I have to ask myself, if I'm making an application out of this passage, I think the question that I need to ask myself is, am I bearing fruit? It's not that big of a leap. We need to ask that of this community. Are we bearing fruit, right? We gather here and say, we are gathered here for the Lord. We are here doing God's things. We are here for the kingdom of God. But I think Jesus would stand in our midst and say, are you bearing fruit? Are you bearing fruit? And when we say bear fruit, that means that our outward actions, the outward expressions of our lives, the outward characteristics of our lives are reflecting what's going on on the inside of ourselves. We understand this. An apple tree can only produce apple fruit. Uh, peach tree can only produce peach fruit. So if I am rooted in Jesus Christ and I am a Jesus tree, I will only produce Jesus fruit. It's a very simple analogy. Are we bearing the fruit of Jesus 
Christ. Our leaves may look like we are, right? Our leaves may look like we are the A-team Christian, that we are doing all, we, I mean, we give some money to, to God's purposes. I show up for most of the worship services. We have some, uh, we read our, our Bible sometimes at home. I got a fish bumper sticker on my car. I even repost Christian memes. I, we show a lot of Christian leaf activity. But is there fruit? Is there fruit that resembles the character of Jesus Christ? The calling of Jesus Christ? The purposes of Jesus Christ? Is that fruit that is there? Because that's what Jesus is looking for. And interestingly, Jesus says in John 15, exactly what Nate was talking about this morning, is that that fruit can only come from one place. Inside of you. Jesus says in John 15, it's not your own efforts, it's not your own activity, it's not you just trying today, like I'm getting up this morning, I'm going to go, you know what, I'm going to be fruitful for Jesus. Because we'll fail. We will fail. Because the only way that we're able to be fruitful for Jesus, Jesus says you need to remain in me. Read John 15 and see how many times Jesus says remain in me. He says I'm the vine, you are the branches, remain in me. And if you remain in me, you will bear fruit. That, that, that's guaranteed, right? You will bear fruit. So if I remain in Jesus Christ, I don't have to get up there and go, well, I'm going to try to be generous. I will be generous. I don't have to try to avoid sinful things because I will be righteous and want to pursue those things. I don't have to uh, be somebody who has self-control of my anger and try to control it. I will be controlled of my anger because I have the presence of Jesus Christ in me. When we root ourselves in Jesus, what comes out of us then is the fruit of Jesus Christ. I'm sure that I shared this with you before. I, when I was a youth pastor, I often would get the, the number one question I would get as a youth pastor every year was this one. Pastor Bob, how far can I go with my boyfriend or girlfriend? Every year. Got it. I get a lot of hormones are going and you know, people are looking at each other and they're wanting, and our society makes it look like that is the, whew, that's the best thing in the world. You gotta have that. But Christianity says you can't have it. Uh, so, but you know what I wanna do? I wanna get as close to that as I can because I'm a Christian, but not go over the edge because I'm a Christian. So, Pastor Bob, what can, what's the line? And how I always answered that question was don't worry about the line connect your life to Jesus Christ and the line will take care of itself. You see what's going on there? I'm saying connect yourself to Jesus Christ. Let his spirit grow within you. And then am I going to want to get close to that line? No, that's not of Jesus Christ. That's not the fruit of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to want anything to do with that because I have Jesus inside of me. I will fail if I get up and try on my own effort and my own power to stick on this line but with Jesus in me, I will bear fruit. And so if we're struggling, and maybe Jesus looked, you're thinking, yeah, I don't have a lot of fruit going on. The question the, the, where I would urge you is to get connected to Jesus Christ. So my activity in my life is to do those things that will help me remain in Jesus Christ. That's an activity, remaining. I, I, I need to, this morning, get up and I'm, my goal today is to remain in Jesus Christ. So what will help me remain in Jesus Christ? 
I think I'll read, I think I'll read through my, my Bible. That'll help me remain in Jesus Christ. Not because I have to read my Bible, but it's going to help me remain in Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray. That will help me stay in Jesus Christ. I'm going to engage in, in the activities that Jesus did. I'm going to help those who are poor. I'm going to maybe share the gospel with people. Not because I have to, but that's the fruit of Jesus just coming out of me. I'm going to do that today. I'm going to be uh, a person who, uh, as Paul says, pursues righteousness, he told Timothy. Pursue righteousness and flee from sin. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go after those things that will help me remain in Jesus Christ. That's who we have to be. That's who God is calling us to be. That's who Jesus wants his church to be. And that's why this community, in all times and all ways, we've got to make sure that we are rooted in the things of Jesus Christ, in who he is, that we are constantly putting him first, and that's what we're attaching to, not to the things of this world. So that's the takeaway that I think we get from this passage when we look at the fig tree today, is that we need to ask ourselves, are we bearing fruit? And so how do you know? Well, Jesus said this. He said, quite clearly, bearing fruit, you will prove to be my disciples. How about that word? Prove to be my disciples. Because sometimes people will, uh, in our shepherding responsibilities, in our pastoring responsibilities, will talk to people about things we see coming out of their lives. And we'll say, well, that doesn't seem to resemble Jesus. And they're like, oh, who are you to judge me? I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, your pastor. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not here to judge you, right? I'm here to help you stay connected to Jesus Christ. And what I see is this coming out, and what I know of Jesus, Jesus doesn't look anything like that. And so what would Jesus say about that? He would say, cut that branch off and throw it into the fire, right? Maybe we need to do some cutting off and throwing into the fire today of those branches that are not bearing fruit for Jesus. Dan, you got a word for me? What will you trade? Thank you, Dan. What would you trade? And Jesus is saying, don't trade anything. This stuff in the world, it's not going to lead you into the kingdom of righteousness. But prove yourself to be my disciple by bearing fruit. And that's my prayer for each of us here, that we would remain in Jesus and bear fruit, and that people would be able to see those from Orchard Hill Church, that we are that light on a hill, that we are that salt of the earth. Why? Not because we're trying to do it, but we are doing it because we're rooted in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we want to thank you for your word again, which has been preserved for us. And, and uh, just as we've been building on the fact that you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and God, how what you asked of your church 2,000 years ago is what you ask out of your church today. And, and maybe our struggles look a little different, and maybe our struggles are different, but God, our, they're still the same. And God, there are things in this world, things uh, even in uh, living out a, a Christian life or a religious life, God, that takes us away from who you are and uh, from your heart and from your purposes and from your character. And God, we, we don't want to be about any of that. And so this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit will call each of us back into that abiding relationship with you, that each and every day we would be able to say, I am abiding in Jesus Christ. And right now, God, if there are things going on in our lives that are not fruit of the kingdom, 
that look nothing like you, God, may we leave them here today. May we leave them here before the cross where you took the punishment, you took the penalty for those things, and we can leave here today as pure people, people who uh, uh, have been renewed by your spirit and now look holy and blameless again in your sight. May we continue to live in that direction. And may we continue to bear fruit in this world, which needs so badly to see the fruit of the kingdom. And God, when we are pushed on and we are coerced, when the world is coming after us, may we respond with what is in us, and that would be Jesus Christ. Help us to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So for our closing song today, 